If you would, take out your Bible. If you didn't already, our reading is going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 1. I say this every week, but it, I mean it every week. It's important to have it in front of you. So if you didn't bring one, take the one out that's right in front of you there. And if you don't own one, take it home. That's our gift to you today. Um, Mark, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And we'll read through this as we go through the message together. Uh, I want to start, I want to share with you um, a story from a year that I was in high school. I, um, I asked a girl to go to the homecoming dance, and I told my wife, Alyssa, that I was sharing this story this morning. She said, I don't think I've heard this story. So she's hearing it for the first time, too. And I also have to say, Judy Boyd, uh, a member of our church in the first service, she said, Pastor Tom, you blushed when you told this story at the 830 <laughs> service. So watch my cheeks. They're probably going to get red. So anyway, I, I asked this girl to homecoming, and she said yes, but she said just as friends. And that made sense because we, we grew up together from the time we were in kindergarten. Uh, we knew each other, and that was fine. But she had no idea that I had a plan to change that before the dance. And so here, here was my plan. It was very simple. We went out to dinner as a group of friends. We're all part of the same friend group. Um, we lived just over the border in Illinois. And so we went up to Lake Geneva, and we went out to eat. And after that, I invited her to go on a walk on the Riviera Beach. Romantic, right? Right? You see where this is going? So it's October, and sunsets are beautiful in October, and all of it was great. And so just her and I, my platonic date, went on a romantic walk down the beach. She took off her shoes, you know, those fancy high heel shoes the girls wear to homecoming. And, and we walked the beach, and we got about halfway down the beach, and I thought, this is the perfect time. And I stopped, and I took her by the hand, and I said, I know we're here just as friends. But I would love to be more than just friends. Would you like to be more than just friends with me? And she looked down at her feet, and she played with the sand between her toes. And it was a really long, awkward silence. <laughs> and after the long, awkward silence, without making any eye contact with me at all, she looked down at her toes, and she said, No. <laughs> I don't want to be more than friends. Can we go back now? My feet are cold. <laughs> That's it. That was it. I was devastated. And just like feel like I feel for this girl. Like we had established the situation and then I pulled this audible, right? Like we didn't even get to the dance. How awkward this was going to be. And, and I couldn't help but wonder, even to this day, if maybe one of the reasons why she said yes was because she knew who I was. We, we grew up together, and, and so she, she remembers back when I was in kindergarten, and I wasn't referred to as Tom, but I was TJ. That was my name. She may have seen me picking my nose in first grade, and that's the image that she has in her head. I, 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 don't, I don't really know, but she never saw me that way, and she wasn't going to start seeing me that way now. And, and I could say all of this and laugh with a smile, because that woman was not Alyssa. There's no more part of the story. Uh, my wife, and I'm so grateful for that and I'm sure this girl is too where life has taken her because that no led to a future yes with the person that I was meant to be with Alyssa and I this year we're going to celebrate 16 years of marriage 20 years together and so it all worked out it's all great and praise God praise God it's it's by the grace of God thank you um, but this whole scene came to my mind as, as I was reading our passage today, 
And, and you'll see why as we get into it. We're in this series of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're calling it The Way, but as I've said for the last several weeks, I'm not going to call it The Way anymore. I'm going to call it Come to Jesus because every single passage seems to end that way. It's this invitation, come to Jesus. And, and you see this whole time, that's what people are doing. You've got crowds of people that are just pressing him, coming to him as he's teaching and as he's healing and as he's, he's performing miracles and he's inviting them in to see this mystery of the kingdom of God that seems to be at hand in the world and in their midst. And, and there's these tangible signs, these words that Jesus is performing, the, the teachings, the miracles, the healings. And, and I was mindful as I look back, every sermon uh, title since the beginning of January, Bill's and mine, have all had something to do with healing. Have you noticed that? All of them have had something to do with healing. And today is going to be no exception, except that this healing is rejected. It's a rejected healing. Verse uh, chapter 5 is where we left off last week. We're actually going to go right after what we stopped at. So you may remember, if you were here last week, we read about the story of the woman um, who had bled for 12 years and God healed her. She touched his cloak. And then after that, he went to the little girl's house, 12-year-old girl, and she had died from her illness. And, and he healed her too. She rose from the dead and told her to go eat. And immediately after that is what we read here in chapter 6. So let's read the first two verses. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, excuse me, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were, say it with me, amazed. Now look for that word. You're going to see that word several times as we go through this. So here's what happened. Jesus went home. He went home to his small town of Nazareth, which is not unlike the small town I grew up in, Richmond, Spring Grove, Illinois. Um, it's not unlike Elkhorn. It's a town where everybody knows everybody. You can't even go, like, in Elkhorn here, you can't even go to the grocery store without running into somebody, right? Like, excuse me. Chances are you go to the grocery store, you may have an unplanned family reunion if you're from here. It'll be right there in the protocile. You'll run into your brother or your sister or your neighbor. And, and it's just like our church. Like We've been here for generations. There's people that have been here for generations. And so that's what Jesus walks into. And he comes to visit and and he does for these people, this is his home, what he's been doing for everybody. He starts with teaching, and it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. But because they know him, they've got questions. And that's where the verses continue. Verse 2, where did this man get these things? They're asking this about Jesus. What wisdom does he have? Who gave it to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And that all sounds like an interrogation, maybe even neutral, until you read the last line. Say it with me. And they took offense at him. They took offense. Why? Why were they offended? After all, at the beginning, I had you read that word amazed, right? They were listening to what he was saying, and, and they were amazed by his teaching. And so this suggests that the same people that are amazed are also offended. And actually, it's their amazement that led to their 
offense, them being offended. And, and, and you'll see that in verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. How many of you ever heard that verse before? Or that, that you know, it's kind of a proverb. You may not have even known it was from Jesus. You may not have even known that this is where it was from. Um, but you can hear it in all sorts of different ways. Uh, you may have heard it verbatim, or you may have seen it in little towns like Elkhorn every year in May or June when high school students graduate from Elkhorn, and what do they say? I'm out of here, right? Like, I can't be the person I feel called to be if I'm still here. And the reason why is because they will say that being known for who you used to be can get in the way of who you're called to be. Being known for who you used to be can get in the way of who you're called to be. And it's true. See, see, these were not really questions. They already knew the answers to all of these questions. They knew who he was. They knew he was Mary's son. They know he's, he's James and Joseph and Judas and, and Simon's brother. You know why? Because when they were kids, they grew up together. They watched them play at the playground. They were on the same t-ball team. They took swimming lessons together. They may have had the same babysitter. And that babysitter, she could still be living in Nazareth. And so she's sitting next to Mary in the pew. And, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And she's, she's poking Mary there. And she's saying, Mary, I changed his diaper. And oh my goodness, could that kid poop. Oh, man, so much. Not as much as Simon. Man, he had some intestinal issues. I don't know. Like, you didn't come to church to find out if Jesus pooped, but I know there's at least one of you that didn't think he did, and I want you to know he did. That is a biblical and theologically accurate statement. He did, and it was precisely because of silly things like that. It was precisely because they knew him, and they knew who he was. And they knew who he had come from and where he had been. That they did not believe what he was doing. They didn't believe what he was saying before their eyes. Never mind the stories and the reputations that they heard about him. Because being known for who you used to be can get in the way of who you're called to be. And the truth is Jesus was no exception. And because of that, verse 5 says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed. There's that word again. He was amazed at their lack of faith. They were amazed at his teaching. He is amazed that they don't believe what he's teaching. And because of that, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't heal except for a few. And, and, and I don't know about you, but the thing I chewed on the most this week in all of this is this idea that Jesus couldn't do something. Does that strike you? Like if it wasn't in the Bible, I don't think I could read it, right? I just, like, this is what, not what I teach my kids. Jesus can do everything, right? Like, he can do everything, and yet what it says here is that there's something that he could not do. And so I had to really chew on that and go, why is that? And, and, and maybe you wonder that, too. And so let me kind of reverse engineer it uh, a little bit. First of all, let me say what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he didn't want to. It doesn't say he didn't want to. And it doesn't say he wasn't capable. Quite the opposite, actually. I can only assume the reason he came is because he wanted to. It's just what he was doing everywhere, right? And so he comes home, and he wants to share the same thing with them, too. He wanted to. Why else would he have come? Why would he appear to lament over the reality that he can't? 
that they won't receive what he's come to bring. Well, the reason he laments is because this is actually not just about Nazareth. This isn't just about Nazareth. It's actually about you, and it's about me. It's about us, because see, Jesus didn't just come as a man from a small town 2,000 years ago. He came as a man. He came as a human, which makes him one of us. It makes him one of us. Just, just Jesus is just as much from Elkhorn as he is from Nazareth. It's true. And ultimately, that's why Jesus would be killed on the cross, because they asked the question, how can this man say that he's the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the God, when he's also just one of us? He's one of us. And do you know why we ask those questions? Well, because this story of Jesus forces us, if you really read it, if you really let it resonate, if you really let it sit in your heart, the story of Jesus, whether you even believe it or not, forces us to face our own limits when we see the infinite nature of Jesus. If you read these pages, Jesus is always more loving than I am. He is always more forgiving than I am. He is always more grace-filled than I am. He is always more merciful than I am. Does anybody here want to make an argument that you are better than Jesus at any of those things? Does anybody want to? I didn't think so. I'll send you down to Sunday school if you do, because they'll teach you that that's not true, right? This is the same effect that, that Jesus had on the people that he grew up with, and his presence was what brought them to this place of being offended. And the reason why is because when you look at perfection and you start to look at your own imperfections, it causes you to feel something. It causes you to feel insecure, right? You feel insecure. You start to focus on what you don't have. When they see everything in Jesus, what they're really seeing is everything they're not. And that's how they're feeling. It's like the person you grew up with and Maybe you run into them at your high school reunion. We, between the services, we had lots of talk about different high school experiences after I shared my embarrassing one. And, and, and maybe you've had this if you've gone to yours where you pull up and there's this, this person that you grew up with, same block, same class. You guys did all the same stuff together. You haven't seen each other for a decade or two, and, and they pull up in this fancy car, right? And, and they're, they're dressed to the nines. Like, they're just, it's obvious. Like, physically, they're doing well. They, they look good. They, they, they've lost weights, right? Looks like they've gotten younger and you've gotten older. You know, you're, you're still driving the same car you've been driving for the last 15 years. You, you, you have just enough money or maybe not even enough money. They have more money than you can even think of what to do with. You're just, you look at their success and you're amazed, Right? You're amazed they're so successful. And then it only happens, it only takes just maybe a few seconds. You go from being amazed to what? You're angry, <laughs> right? You're resentful. You start to feel those emotions. So that's what happened with Jesus. And I, I want to make a distinction here. Don't get me wrong, he's not rich by worldly standards. He's not walking in and flouncing, flout, uh, like, like showing off everything that he has. He, he's not showy, but here's the truth Jesus does have everything we want and everything we need. That's why we're here. And his presence had that effect on the people that he was around. 
When you're in the presence of Jesus, you get drawn to it too. You do, or repelled by it because you're insecure. Either way, right, he sees, they see in Jesus everything that they need, and, and they know him, and he's not the little boy anymore that they grew up with, and because they can't get past their own insecurity, they can't realize that he came to share this wealth with everyone including them. He, he came to give them things that are infinitely more valuable than fancy cars and riches and accomplishments. He came to give them his wealth of love and grace and forgiveness. And he came to share it freely with the world. These people haven't heard the story of the prodigal son. You've heard the story of the prodigal son, right? The guy that runs away and he comes back. Well, there's also an older son and he tried to earn it his entire life, and he got angry at the end. And, and the father goes out and finds him, and he says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. You don't have to earn it, because I'm giving it to you. And they didn't know that, and so they didn't welcome him. And, and it's hard to think that Jesus couldn't do something, but... But then you start to realize that this story is really, it's not about Jesus. It's, it's about the fact that they couldn't get past who they were not. And I think that resonates. Because I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that? They struggled with that because being known for who you used to be can get in the way of who you're called to be. That is a true statement. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't happen. You don't have to stay there. Now that we've seen the problem, let's look at what Jesus does to show the disciples how to get past it. Verse 6, Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He called the 12 to him, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place does not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He sent them out with specific instructions. Let me summarize it. Start with nothing as I send you out with the power to bring them what? Everything. Now, why would Jesus do this? And I, I'm seriously asking, why would Jesus do this? Because just, I could never do this. I could never do this. And, and I'll tell you, I did not faithfully follow this advice this week. Um, and, and, and I'm not the only one, actually. Laura Ellsworth, I'm going to call you out because you and I are both sinners here in all this, okay? Um, I just, I just want to say this. So Laura is our leader of our, of our mission team uh, going to Kenya next year. And Laura called me this week because she got an email from the travel agent that, that we had the opportunity, like now was the time to order the plane tickets. And so the travel agent sent us three options of plane tickets that we could order, and, and two of them were cheaper than the third, and so we said, okay, well, those are the two options, but Laura called and said, okay, which one should we pick? And one of the differences between those two tickets was one of those tickets included two bags that you could take with you and check, and one of them included three. Do you know which one we picked? 
we pick the one with three. <laughs> we pick the one with three. It's the opposite of what Jesus said to do. We're not bringing less, and we're going for Jesus, right? We're going as missionaries, and we're doing the opposite. We're going to take more with us. Now, it's not for my shoes, just so you know. Like, this is for things that they need in Africa. But Jesus tells them here, do the opposite. Go with nothing, and then he says, don't waste your time with anybody except for the people who see you unconditionally for who you are. That's what he's saying. And so let's break that down. When you show up at somebody's doorstep with nothing, who are you? There's some words we could describe you as. You're desperate. You're hungry. You're vulnerable. You're lonely. Now, why would Jesus send the disciples out this way? Because it's going to be the same people that receive them that are ready to receive Jesus. It's the same people that receive them that are ready to receive Jesus. The people who tell them no when they show up at their door are people that think they're better than them. That by showing up with nothing, they're going to be a burden. But those who invite them in, they don't see it that way. They don't see it that way. They see the disciples are just like them. They see a person standing in front of them who needs a dry place to sleep. Everyone needs a dry place to sleep, a warm meal to eat. And so, so they think, if I have it, I can share it. I'll share what I have. Everything I have is yours, right? Everything I have is yours. And so, so Jesus sends them out to be received in this way because Jesus knows that, that if they receive these desperate and hungry and vulnerable disciples, they will be ready to receive him. Because he came to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah when he said, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and drink. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And this is what happened. And so what happened was when the disciples actually stayed with these people they were healed. Look at the next verse. They went out and they preached that people, should, that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The people that were healed knew that it could just as easily have been them showing up at somebody's door who needed a place to stay. And so out of grace and out of compassion and out of this mutual bond of of being vulnerable humanity, they welcome the disciples, which in turn prepares them to welcome Jesus. And I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? Whatsoever you do to the least of these, that you do unto me. Because see, being known for who you used to be, it can get in the way of who you're called to be, but it doesn't have to because the same is also true. Who you used to be can serve as a testimony that illuminates who God has called you to be. In other words, if God could send his perfect son as one of us, literally as a human being, a carpenter's son from Nazareth, a truck driver's daughter from Detroit, a, a teacher's kid from Elkhorn, if God can do this through him, what can he do through me? And friends, that's why Jesus turns our insecurity into hope. That's why we draw to his perfection, because he gives it back to us, because we no longer see our limits in him, but we see our possibilities. 
And since Jesus was and always is perfect, the only way that we could see our limitations and hope in him was if he submitted himself to our lowest of lows. The consequences of being in a sinful, fallen world, poverty, rejection, hunger, and it all culminated in his death on the cross so that we would know that if Jesus can come back from that, if he can come back from that, and he does, it's on Easter, so can we if we just receive the invitation, come to Jesus. I'll leave you with the story that really brought this home for me. I mentioned last Sunday, if you came to our annual meeting in Potluck, I I was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago uh, visiting my youngest sister. Um, Here's a picture And um, if you want to go from amazed to angry, this was the same weekend you got 13 inches of snow. (laughs) So you see where this, how this works. And it wasn't just me. Um, Actually, months ago, my brother planned it, and I didn't know if I could go. So it was kind of a last-minute thing that came together. And so we all went. These are all my siblings. There's me on the right. Um, And then next to me is Lindsay, my sister, um, and then Courtney, my youngest sister. She's the one that lives in Arizona. And then Tim, my brother, is there um, furthest on the left. And so we all went together. And uh, Courtney, she lives in a studio apartment. uh, So we all stayed in her studio apartment. I realize this is probably the first time we've had a sleepover just as siblings in like almost 30 years. And so it was was really special, but I didn't know it was going to be. I was actually, I just have to be honest with you. I was a little nervous. I thought, you know, we're going to be really close together. Are we going to be as excited to leave as we were to come? Like, I mean, that could be the reality. We all get along, um, but we're, we're adults. We, we kind of live our own lives. And, and I have to, I just full transparency, it turned out to be probably what was, was one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. And it, it was precisely because of what we learned just here today. We spent time together as people who all came from the same place. We all came from the same place, and, and that was, that was like, like balm to my soul. I'll just share with you one example. I didn't realize we share some weird quirks. <laughs> one of those weird quirks is, is um, when I take a picture, when somebody takes a picture of me, um, you can ask my wife, Alyssa. It's, it's this weird thing. Like, like if you're, you're the one taking the picture, you say, Tom, smile. I'll smile, and then I, I, I make this, like, really weird, like, kind of, like, laugh. It's involuntary. I'm like, heh, until Alyssa hits me and's like, you're weird. Like, that's, stop making that noise. Well, guess what? When we took pictures, guess who does that? My brother and my sisters. They all do it. And, and, and their significant others hate it, too. Like, like I had no idea. Right? I'm almost 40 years old. I had no idea that, that, that that's something that I do that they do as, as well. And it's weird, but I am telling you this because it was also, it was strangely freeing. Because in those weird moments, I knew that I'm not alone. In a way that I don't experience, even in my home, even, even in church, or especially with people that don't know me or haven't known me since I was a kid. And and, and it's that same grace of God that has led you and you and me to where we are today. Because as we enter the family of God, Jesus doesn't just become your God. He's always been your God. But, but when, when you come into the family of God, he becomes your brother. 
literally. Hebrews chapter 2 says, so now Jesus and the ones he has made holy, which is you, has the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his what? Brothers and sisters. That's you. You have a brother in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was all made possible by what Jesus did 2,000 years ago as it is so beautifully expressed by the Apostle Paul when he says that he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me summarize the whole message. Jesus became nothing so that you can find your everything in him. He became nothing so that you can find your everything in him so that who you used to be is no longer someone you should be ashamed of, but it is something to rejoice in because it is from that place that God has called you to be who you were meant to be. Amen? Jesus teach and preach about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, a massive crowd gathered outside the synagogue to hear him speak. Like any crowd, they were coming from many different places and many different perspectives. Young and old, men and women, rich and poor. Every person in that crowd had this one thing in common. They were tired. Tired of life. Tired of religion. Tired of waiting. And so he looked out upon this multitude of people who were scared, confused, and tired. And he told them, come to me. And that offer still stands for every one of us come to Jesus. All who are tired, all who are hurting, all who feel unworthy, all who feel unloved, all who have nothing left to give, come to Jesus. Bring your burdens, bring your fears, bring your biggest regrets and your worst mistakes. Bring your broken dreams and your painful disappointments. Bring your chains and bring your addictions. Bring it all and come to Jesus. Because he will receive you, and he will redeem you. He will love you, and he will lead you. He will accept you and forgive you. He will guide you and comfort you. He will care for you and watch over you. He will transform you and sustain you. So all who are weary, all who are lost, all who are tired, come as you are. Come today. Come to Jesus.